My guest today is Richard Maxwell, a Grammy-nominated music educator who runs the Creative Musical Arts and Science program over at Arcadia High School here in the Scottsdale Unified School System. In this first part of this two-part episode, you can hear in Richard's voice how honored he is to be able to do what he's doing. He pays so much respect to his past instructors and musical friends and mentors. And you'll understand why he's brought all of this passion along with his technological expertise to create such a creative program here at Arcadia High School. The program that Richard has put together consists of sound recording rooms that are running Pro Tools. I believe he said he had 15 Pro Tools stations that the students get to work on. And it's just a very safe, creative environment that I had never seen anything like it before until I moved to Arizona. So sit back and just listen to the passion. You can just tell that he loves what he does. He loves the students. He loves the opportunity of what he's been able to create. And he is sincerely passionate about every piece of this program that he has put together. So I hope you really enjoy this. And I had a great time finally sitting down with him and learning so much more about him that I didn't know up to this point. Please sit back and enjoy. Hey, Richard. Great to have you, man. I'm glad you could come on the show. And as you know, I'm a huge fan. And, and uh, when I reached out, I figured, you know, while we're all in this COVID-19 thing, you aren't quite as busy as you usually are. So uh, I'm glad <laughs> I was able to get you in here. <laughs> Different busy. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I am as, uh, I'm, I'm as big of a fan of yours as you are always so kind to me as well. Oh, I appreciate it. Mutual admiration society, but that's, awesome. a, yeah. that's a good thing. I'm flattered to be here. So I uh, I know just from my own personal experience with you that you uh, are a multi instrumentalist because I know that you and I have a kinship with drums for yeah, sure we do um, but that's pretty much where my talent starts and stops and then you go on to songwriting and playing guitar and I'm sure you play the keys yeah uh, but- so. Yeah, but to be fair, your the skill you have in like your little finger in drums eclipses <laughs> my entire rhythmic independence and, and abilities beyond belief. Now, um, th- that you talk about being too kind. That's too kind, right? Well, there. no, I mean you are a masterful musician in your own right, absolutely. Oh, well, thank yeah, you. A jack of all trades, master of none in some ways, but I think that um I mean for what it's worth, the multi-instrumentalist thing is partially due to um, the control freak nature of my personality, I think. I've, I've had time to analyze this over the years, and some of it I'd like, you know, I'd like to be able to sort of be like, yes, I love playing all these instruments, and I do, but some of it is because somewhere along the line, it was hard to find people that I felt like I could say, hey, let's do it this way, you know, and some of that was because I was probably not probably, I was really difficult to work with, I think myself. So I started just kind of trying to figure out ways to do it on my own. Um, On the other hand, you do learn a lot when you explore other instruments. So like there's a lot of instruments that I will pick up and play badly just for the sort of joy of seeing what it does. (laughs) Um, Which I, but I like that. I, I think, I think, I think musically there's something about process 
for me. You know, I'm, I'm at an age where, you know, there's a lot of what ifs in my life and in my career musically. Mm -hmm. Um, so now, you know, it's, it's interesting because like, I think you're, you're in your, at a point in your thirties where you like all of those things are sort of like, oh man, if only I had, if only I had. And then weirdly enough, you get to a point where you're like, wait a minute. I actually now, this actually means like artistic freedom, which has been fascinating for me. And I know, um, we also want to talk about, you know, the, the program at the school and stuff, but it sort of relates to it. Like, like you start to realize like sometimes that's actually more valuable. Like there's a, you know, there, obviously we all want to be Springsteen or Taylor Swift or whoever's the, you know, that a, that a list group, of course. I mean, who wouldn't want that lifestyle and, and those opportunities. And I think that anybody who says they don't is probably not being entirely honest. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you know, I remember, um, I've been, I've been biking through this COVID stuff as much as I can. So I, 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 I have one ear with, um, uh, a couple different podcasts that I listened to. And when John Prine died, who I don't know if you know who he was, or yeah, he's really yeah, a brilliant songwriter. So there was this one podcast that was talking about him that had said something that, that just stuck with me. I was never a huge John Prine fan. I, I mean, I respected the guy, but it, they were saying how he looked at his career. And at one point, the fact that he never had like that top 10 smash hit was a detriment. But then, the 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 music critic who who's pretty pretty brilliant guy he goes yeah but on the other hand when you talk to people about his entire catalog everybody's like yeah but everything's brilliant and not having that hit like he wasn't identified by a particular sound or a particular time and he could always kind of do what he artistically wanted i've become more fascinated by by that than than anything else and i talk a lot about that with my students you know in their process too like you know that thing that you love is wonderful, but what's like, what's the step before and, and maybe what's the step after? Right. And are you, and, and frankly, are you allowed to even take it? You know, we get very critical of artists and what we see on TV and on, you know, any video and YouTube now and everything else. But sometimes I wonder, you know, man, it's that the pressure to sustain that, whatever that thing is for them. I, I don't know. I know it sounds weird and maybe people would say, oh, he's just copping out for whatever. I don't know if I'd want it at this point in my life. You yeah, know what I mean? It's funny because I've had the same conversation with myself. I, I totally, in my heart and in my soul and to be truthful to myself, that's all I ever wanted. And then it took me until, I don't think it was that long ago that I actually was able to look myself in the mirror and go, you just didn't put in, in the work. You didn't put in that extra thing to allow yourself to rise above to be noticed. It just, it didn't. And I know that, it, you know, right. I just, I just never went that last, whatever it was. Sure. To get but it on the, done. On the other hand, you know, and that what's the cliche about, you know, one, one door opens and another, or one closes and another opens. I mean, you just, you, you know, I, I've, I've come to realize that, 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 things happen for a reason mm -hmm. like like I, I you know along the lines of what you're talking about so like i never took the the risk to like go out to i've been to la enough times that i i kind of have a love-hate relationship with that city um in some respect i think like everybody does um and and places that nature in terms of the industry but i never when i was in my early 20s you know i didn't do the stereotype i wanted to 
But the thing of it is, is that I know now looking back, if I'm like you're saying, being truly honest with yourself, if I'm truly honest with myself, I know for a fact that if I had gone out and done that, then it wouldn't have, I would have, I would have destroyed myself probably. Like I I wasn't going to hit it. Like it wasn't going to happen. Then Hmm. it just, it just wasn't, I wasn't ready. I wasn't, you know, I am a very slow process learner. It takes me a long time. Um, I guess I'm now okay with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting in this, you know, not to sound funny, but on the other hand, I'm, this is every day for me where I am right now. Like this is, you know, I was, I was in a position, we were able to get a house built and it's not like it's that fancy and I'm not going to show you, like, I, I could show you what I'm looking at out my window, but like, if you saw the, like, there's just gear and stuff everywhere. It's a mess in the <laughs> studio. But the fact that I'm able to sit in a studio every day, I have opportunities where I can make music on my own terms. You know, I'm thinking about everybody I grew up with and, and stuff like that. That's, that's not so bad. You know, I mean, and I'm not like, like taking a, uh, like sort of second place on that either. I mean, you know, I have I have friends, I have students who tour, performer students who tour all over the world now, and I'm so proud of them. Yep. And it, but it's brutal. I mean, it's just. I mean, and not even. I'm not even talking about like the COVID stuff. I mean, just that lifestyle in general, and and trying to maintain that. I mean, it. It. I did. I did some of that. You know, like a hundred years ago. <laughs> but um, you know, it's. I guess I guess maybe I feel lucky we live in a time where I can feel fulfilled in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so funny because um, I just, the last guest that I had on, um, I, we actually talked for two and a half hours and I won't do that to you. And it was, I, I'm going to actually blame it on him because he's such a great storyteller. But I had Nate Morton on, who's the drummer for The Voice. Okay. And uh and him and I have become good friends over the past few years. And, you know, we went through his early childhood, then, you know, going to engineering school of all things. Sure. And quitting it because it what he knew it wasn't in his heart, going to Berkeley. And then the, the connection that I'm making here with you talking about L.A. is he said that I knew I had to go where the gigs were of the of the caliber that I wanted. I, you know, I could have stayed in Boston, but... I wanted to play on like a hit TV show or I wanted to tour with the best of the best. And so he said, I just knew that that's the only move that I had. But the two things that he he points out, the two biggest things, decisions he's ever made in his life, even to this day, was number one, going to Berkeley and number two, going to L.A. And without those combination of those two things, he wouldn't be where he is today. Sure, sure. Which totally makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. And for everybody, you know, and you got to find your place in it. Um, I don't, you know, who knows? I mean, we're not that old. You never know. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I mean, you know, and, and the industry is different now and there's, you know, um, I mean, cause I work, obviously I work with a lot of teenagers and a lot of 20 somethings yep. and, and they're all, and they're wonderful, but it is interesting how like you really can, you can almost like feel the sort of like flash in a pan kind of vibe of, of whatever they're, they're currently into. Um, which, and I don't say that like as a criticism, I just mean, you know, sometimes you, you know, I wonder like there are certain artists or certain bands and, you know, they used to get like, you know, the joke was like the oldie circuit kind of thing. 
But at the same time, you look at what those musicians are doing and there's something about the fact that they're that they're playing like like I feel like that's even with all the technology and I am a technology guy. Let's not kid ourselves. Right. At the end of the day, it can't be about the technology. And I feel like there's something, you know, like. And I know they have all kinds of ups and downs with personnel and and issues of, of personality, but like journey of all the, you know, sort of like stereotypical cliche kind of bands in a way. But it is interesting to me that decades on, when you see them play, they're play like they actually are playing. Right. Like, and I, th- I think that's the, I partially think that that's a big part of the reason. I think that people go and see the Rolling Stones play because they're playing. Like, like it's not tracks. It's not, you don't, you know, you don't go into their show going, well, they're going to produce it this way or produce it that way. And I don't think that has so much to do with age. I think that has to do with approach. Um, I've become a big fan of all crazy things. I tell my, my students I always find this funny. I found myself a few years ago and I couldn't figure out what it was at first. I would, I would be in here, like in the studio and just kind of like, I'd be doing like paperwork or something, like just whatever, like just, I wasn't working on something, but I'd want something in the background. And I would find myself streaming from YouTube live bluegrass and I could not for the life of me as a, I don't like I'm not like a country guy I don't what in the world is happening you know it's like am I having like some sort of like long weird dystopian out of body <laughs> midlife musical crisis I mean like because I mean I was you know my first musical love was classical and then prog rock and then I got into rock and everything else so I'm like bluegrass is is just we're, 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 we're moving on in a chain that was just so bizarre. And then I finally figured it out. And it was because it was pure. Like, right. you know, it's, it's, it's a bunch of guys and girls sitting with acoustic instruments, basically. And they have to play them. The instrument has to respond. You don't get the benefit of, you know, all the other stuff. If you don't do it, it doesn't happen. And I have, that has become incredibly compelling for me and now, so I've been spending years, and I don't know if you want to get into this part of it or not, but I've been spending years trying to figure out a way to marry the two. How can you, like my big thing right now is how do you take, like I love loopers, for example, uh, the textures you can create. I really dislike the lack of in the moment control you have though with a looper because once you do a loop, you're basically stuck with it. You know, you can stop it, you can start it, and stop. But, but in real time, like I want to sit down, like like when you sit down behind a kit, you know, I want the hi hat to respond as I'm playing it, not in some prefabricated way that I can no longer alter in any way. So I've been working on trying to figure out a way to play with all the layers, but have them respond to me like I was sitting down behind the kit and doing it organically or at a piano or on a guitar, or, or just, you know, a kazoo. I don't care what the instrument is, but the idea that it responds immediately. To me, that's a more interesting use of all of this. So and anyway. What are you doing? Uh, yeah, not to go too far, because we, I, you know, but it's interesting now. What are you doing to do that? So a lot of it has to do with um, figuring out ways to, like, like what makes up the layer that you need. Do you know what I mean? So like, like a loop, um, for me, when I was like, you know, you, you, there's, there's people that are brilliant at it. I mean, and that's the other thing too. 
you know, you're, you know, Ed Sheeran is a brilliant songwriter. Um, he is gifted on so many levels and he's kind of perfected the looping thing. Um, you know, Tash Sultana, I don't know if you know who she is or not. I don't. You definitely look her up. She okay. is, oh my gosh, she is about the most organic looper I've ever seen in my life. Um, to the point where you can tell that something glitched or made a mistake. Uh-huh. And it's like she does it, it doesn't stop. She's so in the moment about the music she's making. And it's it's just freaking brilliant. It's unbelievable. But the point is, is that you know, you start to look at all these textures and you start to see some commonalities. And then funny enough, I I started looking at well, what do I really need? Like, like when a when a when a singer-songwriter starts a loop performance, a lot of times, you know, they start with like a drum beat kind of thing, right? And, and, you know, and they've got their acoustic guitar and they're doing all kinds of stuff. And there's nothing, I mean, it's cool, but then it's like, well, what is that really about? You know? And so I had gotten really heavy into Mumford and Sons of all things. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching Marcus Mumford, especially when it's just the four guys, sorry, four guys. And, you know, and, and he's doing, you know, and he's just got that kick drum and he's got that weird little pedal mechanism for the tambourine. But it's essentially, he's doing all that momentum off of a kick drum. And because it's so well played organically, you can hear the rest of the drum kit, but you don't actually need it. I know for a fact that you in studio work, because you and I've talked about this, you have a less is more kind of approach. You know, you don't have to, you know, don't get me wrong. We, we're all fans of Neil Peart. I mean, yeah. you know, God rest his soul. The man was a genius on so many levels, but we're not all going to be able to pull that off. Like, I mean, he, he could, he could fill the space and you didn't go, well, that was gratuitous. You know, that's a, I mean, you know, he's like, he's the only drummer I think that could really get away with that consistently. Um, Simon Phillips may be another one, mm-hmm. um, but that's just, and that's just, just my opinion. But, but my point being what I've basically been doing is I'm looking at the layers of what can you actually do? And then essentially it's a variation on voice splitting. So if I take a tone and I branch it out, and I noodle with it and, and essentially process it in a certain way, you don't necessarily know what it is that I'm playing from. But then it goes even further, and I promise we won't stay too long on this, but just because this is where my brain goes. Oh, that's fine. So I had developed this whole, and there's some video and stuff you can, I mean, I'll send you some links and stuff um, of early like prototypes of what I was doing, and it, it's fun. Um, but it was a real, first of all, it was a real pain to get a song prepped. Like the irony of the amount of time it would take me to get a song prepped so that it could feel natural and organic was just like killing me. Like it, it became <laughs> so creatively. So I, so I went back, I've, I've gone back and I've re- redressed it. And the crazy thing is, is so I started looking at it, instead of for the drum kit, I started looking at the relationship between the kick drum and the bass drum. And part of that was because at one point years ago, I had developed this really cool way to simulate what sounded like drums off of an acoustic guitar without having to play it as a loop. Like it was coming essentially off the strings, believe it or not. And it sounded really cool. And then I, and I would do like some coffee house gigs or some, you know, whatever, some small shows and things, theater kind of gigs and stuff. And I realized that people like, if they knew what I was doing, they'd be all over it. (laughs) But just as a listener, it was like, oh yeah, he's got backing tracks. I'm like, no, wait, you've missed the whole point. And then I realized, and then, and then you like, and I know, you know, you, you perform all the time. You can't really blame your audience. If they, if they don't get what you're doing, that's on you. 
you know, you, there's only so far you can go, oh yeah, they didn't understand. Like, right. I mean, that's just, you know, right. you, you can't play that game successfully. I don't think anybody can. Yep. Um, so I've gone back now and I've started to look at what really is required for momentum. And can I treat, like for some reason, hearing a bass line off of a guitar will make that jump. I'm still trying to figure out how far do I go with the actual percussion sounds and things. But that's also, to me, part of it is I'm a big process guy. I come back to that all the time. This, to me, is fascinating. I've been playing with this concept since before my oldest son was born. Right. And I'm really, really freaking old. It's been a long time. No, but, but I'm I, really freaking old. Fair enough. I don't think. <laughs> fair enough. No, you're not. And it's just a number anyway, even if you were. And even if I was, no, but seriously, I, th you know, to me, it's the process. I think that that's the fascinating part. I, um, I'm reminded, uh, Mick Jagger has been asked how many times what, you know, how do you write a hit song? And I love his response in some, in one interview, he's like, I don't know. And as soon as I figure it out, I'm probably done. Yeah. Like, I don't want to know yeah, it's why it, like, like it, it kind of ruins the magic of it. Right. Um, I think there's great merit in, you know, I think art in all of its forms, for me, it's music, is its own, kind of like its own living, breathing entity. Yeah. And you communicate with it. And, you know, if you're, if it's, if you're working with it collaboratively, it's, there's some, you know, these amazing things will happen. And if you piss it off, it's like it takes its toys and goes home and then you're stuck <laughs> going, I don't know what to do anymore. I mean, that's, but that's, that's literally my, my thing, which maybe I don't, and like I said, I can talk for that guy went two and a half hours. I can so beat that Joe. Have, oh my <laughs> so, gosh. I love so, the sound of my own voice, but that, I'm not going to do that. To you. I won't do that to you, but no, I think no, no. we can talk about the program. Well, well, but, but because we talked about a couple things here, I'm just going to put, just add my own two cents based on, um, you know, the whole looping thing for me, I, I also love and I'm enamored when I watch it done. Mm -hmm. The problem that I have, um, when it's in a live situation and I deal with it with the, the people that, you know, my other persona is being the owner of onstage entertainment, right? So booking a lot of entertainment in here in both Arizona and Colorado, I, I have to ask some of them that, okay, I don't mind you looping, but you have to get into the song within the first like minute, like yeah. to loop. It, the layer, you know, the layers it, I, and there's, I don't, you know, I don't loop. I mean, I don't do it. So I don't, I can't tell them what to do and I can't feel their pain, but if you're going to do it, you got to be quick at it and you got to figure out how to get into the song quickly because people lose interest. It just, well, you're not wrong. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, you know, mostly, you know, you do the looping thing and it's like the first time, the first song that's really a two and a half minute song that takes you 12 minutes to perform. Yeah. And the audience is like, okay, that was cool. Three songs in, and I can tell you this from experience, and some of this is because I don't have the gift that certain people do um, for looping, which is probably why I gave up on looping mm -hmm. in some respects. And now, but now I, I mean, like, again, a door closes. This is so much more creatively interesting for me. But, you know, three or four songs in, the audience is always like, wait, we've seen this trick before. We know, we, you know, they, they don't know what's going to happen specifically, but they kind of know where it's headed. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that's the lack of interaction, in all honesty. I think that's why you see some people, um, like, you know, talking about the looping thing. I've, I, the one thing that fascinates me about Ed Sheeran is genius-level songwriter, brilliant performer, albums sound nothing like the live show. Albums are basically a band. 
then he goes out by himself, which is very fascinating to me, you know. But on the other hand, I kind of respect it because that kind of I absolutely respect it because to me that's using looping in an effective way, using technology in an effective way. Um, but I'm with you. I I can imagine you know that battle. You're right. People don't well, and especially you know bars and clubs and stuff. There's only so far they that you can go, and 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 again. I think one of the things I know I deal with this a lot with my students is, you know, there is a line that you have, you have to accept the fact that if you're going to go off on those musical tangents that may be incredibly invigorating for you personally, you have to be willing to accept the fact that, you know, you may not get all the gigs you want, you know, or you may not get the type of gig that you think you deserve because people are going to, you know, if that's, you know, if that's not what the listener wants, that's not what the listener wants. And then, and, and then that needs to, but that has to be okay too. I mean, I think, um, you know, I firmly believe there's kind of like, there's two music industries in a way. There's the industry that, you know, we see on TV that, um, you know, is, is, you know, is, is the big influencers and stuff and the award shows and everything else. And, 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 God love them for it. I, like I said, I would love to have their problems. Mm-hmm. But then there's all this other stuff that isn't going to make it beyond, you know, it's going to play the smaller clubs and it's going to be in, in more intimate settings. But that's okay. You know what I mean? Like, that's okay. And at least now, gosh, when you and I were growing up, you know, we were, we were still of the generation where if it didn't come on the radio, you didn't hear it. Right. You know, or you had to really, I mean, I can remember you would spend hours at a record store because you couldn't return it. <laughs> you know, I mean, you really chose carefully, yeah. you know, those, those, you know, that 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever it happened to be, you know, before we really got into the whole Napster opens up streaming for us, you know, world, you know, it's a totally different thing. It's, it's And it's interesting talking to my students about that because some of them, it's, they, they are still very careful and they'll tell me, they're like, my time is valuable to me. And they'll still, but, but there's still, even with them, there's still a sense of acceptable risk, you know, for whatever, 10 bucks a month or whatever you spend for whatever streaming platform. I mean, that's like, you know, that's insane to me. Yeah. I mean, that you can get pretty much every recording that exists for 10 bucks a month. Yeah. Which then yeah, also begs the, begs the question, is it worth being worried about signing the big record deal anyway? Cause you're probably not going to make any money for it anyway. Maybe just go make what your heart wants you to make artistically, you know, 50% of not much. Okay. Yeah. You, know, you weren't getting that much in the first place. But. Yeah. And yeah. And it's, it's for them, you know, for all of us these days with the streaming part of it, it's like drinking water through a fire hose when it comes to the amount of content you can yeah. actually take in. Yep. Where you, you and and I are talking, it's like, yeah, you go to the right, you, you know, you, you mowed four lawns, you have 10 bucks to go buy the one album that you've been waiting to get. Exactly. And, you know, it's just exactly. Like, exactly. But yeah. it made it so much more, you know, I cannot remember buying an album and not sitting down and listening to it track for track multiple times all the way through reading all the liner notes exactly uh, knowing exactly. everybody who played on it every uh-huh. yeah yep yep 
Or yeah. like I can remember, I can't remember what album it was, but I can remember buying an album, taking it home to listen to, and then we like I remember my parents were like, we have we have something to go to in like 20 minutes or something. And I can remember sitting there thinking, okay, do I put on and listen to like the first two tracks? Or do I wait till I get home so I can listen to the whole thing? <laughs> and I waited, you know, because there was something about that experience. And even now I find myself, you know, fa eh, fast forward, eh, fast, you know what I mean? It just, it, 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 it's, I, I find myself with some of those bad habits a little bit that I wish I didn't necessarily. Yeah. But it is what it is. Yeah. You know. Well, and two other things you touched upon that I might, you know, you, you brought it up and it's something that I, I deal with, but, um, I took a position a long time ago when I started on stage that I actually don't hire anyone that runs tracks. Hmm. And I did it purely for the fact that I didn't want any musicians being put out of work on basically my watch for lack of a better Term. Oh, that's awesome. So that's just the position I took and I don't have anything, you know, like I, there's a, like I had a corporate gig. So when I say that, it's really like the local type stuff. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to put a single guy in a resort and put a bass player and drummer out of work because he walks in with bass and drums on tracks and right. back and backup vocals. And, you know, these other people are sitting home and not working, but the, the, the caveat with that is if I, there's a corporate band that I hired out of um, Montreal, Canada, uh, who had amazing tracks that they had built from scratch for themselves. Now, the difference between them is that every single track that they had, there was literally an instrument on stage playing it. So all it was for was for the, the thickness of the sound. Sure, sure. Right. There was literally not one sound on those tracks that did not exist as a human being on the stage. Right. See, and I think that you're hitting on something to me that's really important, which is intent. Like, I think that gets lost in all of this because we're so we're so caught up in the spectacle. Yeah. Or the sound. You know, I was just at a, a wedding not too long ago for for one of my nephews. And it was interesting because the band, the band was, they were good. Um, this was back in Ohio where I grew up, but it was lots of tracks. And it was interesting the way, you know, I'm sitting there picking the thing apart because that's where my head goes. But the rest of my family is just enjoying the sound, you know, almost to the point where, like, I've seen DJs lately do a thing. Oh, Sorry, my son's coming in to interrupt here for a second. That's totally to fine. I apologize. <laughs> my apologies, Joe. No, that's my. Good. That's gray. He's gunning. <laughs> he's gunning for your drumming job. All right, perfect. He's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. No, but I think um. You know, like DJs lately, you see them like they'll travel with a drummer. And I actually think that's a really good thing. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it is a little bit in the other direction. Cause I actually, I respect that decision you've made. And I actually, I did not realize that that's awesome. And I, I think, I think the world of professional musicians would be better off if more of the, the, the owners of these companies such as yourself took a stance like you do. Um, but on the other hand, you come from this as a player 
So you have a, you know, I think some of this is you, you know, that battle, you know, what that's you, you understand on a different level and nothing against promoters, managers, and anybody else out there. But a lot of them don't is, is my, is a, you know, and they're well-meaning, but they don't, you know, they don't get it, you know? And, and Yeah. We've talked about this a lot. Um, you know, that the, the success of, what happened with my booking agency is the fact that I take the position uh, and I also have the business acumen part of it. So I'm kind of a hybrid in, in a way where I can understand what I have to deliver to the end client and, and how professional all of that has to be. And at the same time, I have to put myself in the position of the performers or performer, either one. And that, you know, when it's really hot outside, they need shade. And if it's too hot, it's just impossible to perform outside in Arizona. And yeah, because we live in Arizona and it's the desert, you know what? It gets freaking cold in the wintertime. So, and and the, the fact that other than a singer who then has to worry about catching some sort of cold or bronchitis or something, right. that all the musicians use their fingers. And as soon as your fingers freeze up, the performance goes downhill and everyone's upset and it just doesn't make for a good. So in our contracts there, it's very in depth about, you know, needing shade and, and, right. and needing heaters in the winter. And then if it's too hot or too cold, that has to be moved inside. And we, it could at nauseum, I could talk about all, oh, this, no, of course. you know, circumstances, but that's the approach that I, I took. But it's interesting too, because like as as you're as you're describing all this, I keep coming to the word legacy, like 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 your own sort of personal legacy and all of this, like you know. And I've known you now for years, so I kind of I feel like I I um I can say this maybe with a little bit of insight, like it you like I know you to be the kind like you need to be able to sleep at night, like do you know what I mean? Like like, but that's important. Like like I know that you know some of that's just because you couldn't send somebody on a gig that you yourself wouldn't feel comfortable taking, which I think is important because again, I think, you know, again, I deal with a lot of um, younger musicians, you know, a lot of teenagers, a lot of 20 somethings with the, you know, with the, 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 the college stuff folks that I work with too. And, you know, you, you do have to kind of be aware, you know, the pay to play thing that goes on a lot. And I see a lot of younger musicians that get really excited. Oh, we're going to get this gig at blah, 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 blah. Place. I'm like, that's awesome. Can you buy a ticket? Because we have to sell 200 of them yeah. to get the yeah. opening spot. And I'm thinking to myself, on the, I get it. I mean, I, you know, I understand there are costs and everybody needs to be able to make a living and provide for themselves and their families. And I, I really do understand that. But it's, there's something off-putting about like like to me i feel like art's disposable enough like it's treated almost like a, a fast food meal sometimes yeah that that going into that world i don't know i just i i just feel like you know one of the things i'm always telling kids is, is you know to me and this is this has always been my approach and if i ever decide that i want to get myself out of this studio environment here where I noodle around, which I might, you know, in my midlife extended crisis of who knows what the heck's going on right now. Um, I actually had plans and then the COVID thing kind of hit, but that's a separate conversation, I suppose. But no, um, is, but to think about, you know, we look at gigs, I think, especially younger musicians, they look at gigs in this context of, 
I have to get the gig for the exposure and the quote fame, but I also equally need the money from the gig. And I think that that's in some ways the problem. Everybody's got to eat. Everybody needs to, I, I get, I understand that, but I do think that when you can eliminate either one or the other from the equation, you actually give yourself more opportunities. Yeah. You know, you know like if you can, you know, and I, now I realize I'm in a very unique situation. I could take a gig or not just for the joy of the gig. Um, and, and one of the reasons why I started to think about, I should really start playing out again, just for my own sense of self and, and to noodle around with this not looping looper thing, to be perfectly honest with you in front of people mm -hmm. was because I realized I don't really care if I make any money doing a gig. Of course, I would love to get some cash, you know, some money in my pocket for, for, for performing. But at the same time, it's like you prioritize, you know, what, what matters. And I think that that's part of it. You know, especially now, you know, because um, there isn't, you know, it's really tough, as you know, being a gigging musician is really brutal. And, and obviously right now it's basically impossible, right. um, you know, with, with the situation we're in. But I, I do think, like, it's funny, like, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of my, my students about the fact that, and, and just a lot of people in general, there are some you know, th this is horrible right now. I mean, it just is. It is devastating. The live music industry, which is like, what, $8 billion annually or something at a minimum, is just devastated right now. Um, and, and all of the, the ripple effect of it is, is just, it's gutting. Um, but I do think there's also some good possibly to come out of this the number of people I talk to younger people that are so excited at the notion of when I can go see another show, like the appreciation for it, you know, like when you're younger and it's like, you can go to any show you want anytime you want, basically, because you've got you know, all your income is basically disposable and you know, whatever else. And, or, or, or even if it's not, but you can, you can seriously prioritize it. You know, you don't have to worry about house and car and blah, 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 and food. And I know some kids do, I'm, I'm speaking in generalities, but just in general. Yeah. Um, when that's been removed now, it is so interesting the number of conversations I've had with kids that are like, wow, I'm just so appreciative of when I'll be able to do that again. Or, or the realization that, that like, because we, we, we talk about it all the time in my, in my classes, like, okay, you go to that show. I don't care what show it is. That person on stage, even if it's a soloist, isn't the only person involved in you seeing that show. They just aren't. There's no circumstance where it's just them. And you start to really now understand how it all changes, you know, yeah. um, you know, or, 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 or not changes, but how, I mean, it's gone right now, you know, and they're talking about 2021 before major tours happen again, major festivals and things like that. I don't want to get all depressing and down on stuff, but, but, <laughs> no, I but, I, but, but, I mean, it's not like you don't already know this. I'm sure you. you... I have tick. I have tickets to see the Doobie Brothers and the Eagles. Do you really? Uh, yeah, and and that the Eagles, I think, was supposed to happen in April. And that's been delayed, I think, until October, December. And you know, there's a good chance they're all going to be moved until yes. 2021. Just, yeah, exactly. I mean, no one's going to want to go to a concert and sit, you know, six feet apart from the person they went with and sit 
you know, have every other row with someone. It's just, it would be weird. Well, and, and not to even sound more paranoid, but like I've been reading about different things about like, um, I guess they did a study recently about that choir that had that rehearsal before anybody realized it was a pandemic, but then like 40 out of like the 60 people that were in the choir wound up getting tested or testing positive. Oh, wow. And they, you know, I mean, it's a horrible tragedy. I think like two or three of them passed away from it. And, and the whole circumstance was awful. And they were going off of all the information they had, which at the time was nothing. And mm -hmm. I mean, the whole thing's a terrible tragedy. But out of that, they recreated the circumstances. They obviously didn't infect people again. But they started to look at how singing and things of that nature and what it does to the transmission of a disease, or, you know, of a virus of this nature. You know, and then you think about people at like an event where they're shouting or screaming or singing along and all this other stuff. And you just think to yourself, you know, how is this going to look? Yeah. You know, um, what are we, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's, it's an interesting, if it wasn't so devastating to the, to, to people that I personally know and just to the industry that I'm aware of and the ripple effects of all of that, it would be just fascinating. But instead, it's just, I mean, it's just, it is really, um, it just makes me really sad. And I'm really grateful. Like, I feel weird sitting in a studio talking to you right now because I feel like almost like I'm, I'm unintentionally flexing and I don't mean to be. It's just, you know, I never thought my life musically would be in a place where I could feel musically secure more than most musicians out there in the world that is such a bizarre moment of clarity for me um i almost feel obligated to be making more music right now not because anybody needs to hear it or that it'll be any good but almost because i feel like if i don't i'm being incredibly selfish that i have the option to do it and i'm not taking advantage right. of it yeah, i yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. you know you can bleep this, but I feel like I would just be like such an ass. Like, yeah, if, no, I get it. I, I, I feel like, and I, I feel like I believe in karma and I just, I just feel like I have to, like I have an obligation, especially I'm about to hit into summer, which changes up my teaching obligations and my, you know, yeah. other obligations of that nature and running the studios are going to be very different for the foreseeable future, at least. Yeah. Really and have, it's, and it's an like, excuse. No, yeah, no, and I get it. And it's in a lot of our talent is struggling, you know, that I, I that I personally know and had had helped to get a fair amount of work that they, you know, at times where they don't have work and they're struggling just to put food on the table and pay their car payment, keep a roof over their head, they now are sort of forced into possibly going into debt to buy a webcam and a microphone and and learn you know, some sort of software if, if need be, or if they just end up going live on Zoom or Facebook or any of the streaming, you know, platforms. Right. But, you know, they're putting in their, their Venmo and PayPal handles as a virtual tip jar just to try to make any sort of money. Yeah. Anything and, is anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really tough. So yeah, I, I keep brainstorming on ways to try to figure out a, a way to help. And I haven't, come up with it yet i i but i'm working on it it's not sure. like i'm sitting here uh, not you know i'm lucky enough that i had a, a business where because at one point i was 
the seven day a week musician. Right. I, I know. Play, I, you remember. And I, I that's all I did yep. before. You were impossible to get a hold of because it would always be like a message back. Like, <laughs> dude, I'll call you later. I'm on a, I'm, I'm like, you know, 17 <laughs> gigs today. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, but so I, I get it again. We go back to, I, I've, I've lived it and I understand where it's all coming from. And now I just have to figure a way to help. And right. so that's the struggle for me, but sure. that's, that's a whole, like you said, it's a whole different conversation. And the one last piece that you touched upon that I don't want to uh, forget is that in the conversation I had with uh, Nate Martin, the drummer from the voice, who, there's a connector in LA that you may or may not have heard of that, that I knew when I wanted to, you know, possibly get a tour, a guy named Barry Squire. And Barry is basically the, the music mac, uh, matchmaker out there. So if Cher is looking for her, a band, Barry will put out the notice that Cher is about to go on tour and they need this, this, and this. Same thing with Pink or any of those. Barry was the guy to basically piece these bands together in LA for these big tours. And, and so now the listing and Barry puts these listings up now on, on Facebook. And it's obviously become a lot easier as part of the discussion I had with Nate, where it used to be, Hey, you go to this executive's office and you pick up a CD or a tape, you learn these three songs on it. You come to the studio soundstage on the Saturday at one, you play the songs and we'll let you know kind of thing. Right, um, right. Now Barry posts these things on Facebook and it's, he posts the requirements and you know, every, everyone has to be, pretty much for the most part, 25 or younger, sure. you know, there's, there's no, none of these things that are going to take all these old dudes like us out on tour. Right, right, or right. Me, no, anyhow. No, um, no, 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 no. I'm right there with you. I'm with but, you. but the, the, instead of it being the old style that you and I are used to, which is, you know, bass drums, maybe two guitars, keys, and a couple back, uh, backup singers, or maybe a horn section. Now it's uh, guitar, drums, and a multi-instrumentalist that knows Ableton. Yep. So it's it's that, and, and Barry and Nate were talking, they went to lunch a few weeks ago. There will always be a drummer because the visual part of it, of, of that makes it look like it's a band. So that, that one seat, you know, thankfully has not been necessarily eliminated as much as the others, sure. but it's just so weird. And, and Nate and I were talking, I was like, I mean, I know, I, I don't know Ableton anywhere near that I could say I could do it to go get a gig and neither does Nate. Um, but that's the state of things right now. And it then is. he, and then Nate's talking and he's like, and if the band becomes, you know, popular and there's more money in the budget, they don't turn around and then start adding bass and guitar and keys stuff. They add more production. They add dancers. They are, they, whatever. It's just, it's so weird to me. Well, yeah, the idea of a show, it's different, you know. That's why that's why it still comes back to me of this idea of playing. Yeah. You know, and I think that um I don't know, like like do you still sit down to play just for the joy of playing? Uh I I do here and there, but nowhere near as much as I should. Um well, nobody and, ever does that as much as they should. Yeah, and it's like we played a gig uh last Wednesday, um, and we played out in the parking lot at an assisted living complex for oh, the cool. for the residents because these elderly people had not been out of this place for the last 
two months or whatever. Oh They're just gosh. going stir crazy. Sure. So sure. there was four different jazz combos and we were set up out in the parking lot where the people could come out on their balconies and we oh, played to how them. Cool. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, it was cool. And at the end, like all the guys in the band are like, God, I so miss playing. Yeah. Like I just, I, the hell with practicing. I just want to play because there's th- that interaction on stage and, and anticipating where the, that other player is going to next and just being able to interact and lock mm-hmm. in with somebody. And because um, I left the gig going, God, I really got to practice. <laughs> and everybody's like, no, we just got to play. We just, it's more fun just playing. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's, I think that, I think there's something about that visceral live element. You know, we, um, it's funny when, 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 when the COVID shutdown happened, it sort of sent obviously a lot of chaos into the whole educational system, especially into arts education, which regardless of titles and everything else, I am basically running an arts program. Um, you know, call it what you want, but it's an arts program. And uh, it's been, it was interesting what wound up happening uh, very much unintentionally. I truly thought, I'm going to get all these kids that are just going to send me, you know, here's this recording I worked on at home. Here's this. Rec- and I've got a lot of those. I mean, that's, and, and it's great. But a lot of them, first of all, a lot of them, you know, you started to really see the demographic of the students and who had what available to them. Yeah. Lots of posturing in, yeah. in high school, certainly about that. And that's fine. I mean, I don't begrudge the kids anything. And we've distributed gear as much as possible in that. Um, but it, it was, you know, it was interesting how a lot of them, really enjoyed the live streams we did more than anything else. So we wound up doing our big annual end of year concert anyway, but we did it online on zoom. It was clunky. We were subjected to all kinds of elements related to streaming and what mics they had and Wi-Fi connectability and everything else. And yet in the moment, the fact that it wasn't taped that we, you know, like I had some kids that played some sessions and we just kind of watched the sessions on the screen, which was still cool. And it was really awesome. I had one group that actually did go in and they pre-recorded their parts and filmed themselves while they did it. And then we spliced it together into kind of like a live video and, 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 and whatnot. But most of it was a kid with their guitar or at their piano or whatever it happened to be singing, you know, in some cases it was just through their phone and imperfect. Absolutely. But it it had that kind of because you knew it was right then. And there wasn't a, well, we're going to go back and fix it in post kind of option. Right. It was interesting that that, you know, you still got a little bit of that same charge. I mean, it was different because obviously you don't get the, you know, you don't hear the applause in the same way that you're hopefully getting. Um, you know, and there wasn't really production in terms of lights and stuff that we normally would do, but, you know, cause I asked a lot of them, you know, should we pre- be pre-recording this? And, and some of them were like, yeah, that would be better for me. But that was more because of nervousness that they always have had inherently, you know, these are kids that don't like to get up on stage, even though they're wonderfully talented. They just may be, you know, at that age, they're, they're, they get freaked out by it or whatever, but the vast majority wanted it live and in the moment warts and all and i found that to be very fascinating um and and, cool. and we wound up you know we did a time i think we did like i think we did like seven or eight live broadcast we're still doing them 
Um, we've done a bunch of podcasts, but it's been interesting watching the students, their response. And maybe it's not an entirely like I, like I don't think that I can. I always look at my own students and I go, I probably shouldn't be lumping you in with every other teenager is like a generality because they tend to be have a little bit of a unique and 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 for being honest, I probably do have a bit of an influence on their approach right. <laughs> in that regard. Yeah, hopefully in a good way. Um, but I do think it's interesting, like what you're saying, that that there's something about a live response, even if it's remote, even if it's from streaming, it still beats the just watching video. There's something, I don't know, organic and visceral about it. Yeah, which is All important. Right, well. You know, I, since we are now, you know, sort of talking about the graduation piece, I wanted to, so I always refer to it as CMAS, and I think that's yeah. probably what most of you do, but it's Creative Musical Arts and Science Program, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is happening at Arcadia High School here in, are we in, this is considered Phoenix, because you're right down the street from me, right? So it's Phoenix. Yes. Well, um, yeah. The border is... I don't know. Yeah, it's Scottsdale Unified School District, but it's technically in Greater Phoenix. We're like, I want to say, what's 48th Street and Indian School, and what is it, 56th is the line into Scottsdale? Okay. I don't actually know. I mean, I've been at that school for, gosh, 20 plus years, if you can believe that. Um, long time. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I, it's long before my time how they managed to carve out that section of, you know, why it's Scottsdale and not in Phoenix Union. I, I don't know. All right. Okay. So you just mentioned 20 some years ago. So when did you get to this school? Okay. So oh, let me see. How do I explain this? 1990 or something. Uh, so I'm at the U of A. Okay. I have finished my second master's degree in orchestral conducting, which I still missed. I, you know, if only for not having enough time in the day. Um, basically I start working in Tucson at, um, one of the high schools and a middle school. I've got an orchestra program that I love. I am always still for years and years. And when I, I grew up in the Midwest, so as an undergrad and as a grad student and at different times and in different places, I was always gigging, um, as a very mediocre drummer. Um, I like to say I was, I was sort of the, uh, the, um, what do you want to call it? I brought the game down for everybody else, but, um, but you know, uh, and so I had done some touring, you know, nothing, nothing fancy, stuff, but, but I had done a lot of it. I loved like the studio experience and all this other stuff, but there was no, at the time, at least available to me, you only were really able to do that kind of independently and on your own. And there was very much this sense of, you know, we were we were talking before about two different music industries. Well, there were sort of like two different musical experiences. You had the experience you could have as a student. I mean, you know, you know, it was one thing, and there and it was great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have such fond memories of growing up, and I I still every now and then am lucky enough. I get I've talked to my old high school band director a few times. He's long since retired. Um, he drives trains now, of all things. Wow, um, which he just loves. Old, old military retired guy, sweetheart of a guy, um, brilliant musician, far more. I didn't realize his musical chops. This is another problem I have. Like I hadn't like it takes me a while to realize something in the moment. Oh, my gosh. 
the level of lost opportunity on my count to like not tap into more of his experiences. He, he came out of a military band experience, but he had this incredibly open view of what music was for, even if he had a particular love of a certain style and whatnot. But, um, I'm, I'm, Wait, I've got this, before, no, I, before you leave that point, it's just amazing that you just said that because I look at you and go, God, if I only had a band teacher in high school like you, my teacher, and God rest his soul, I'm, I, I think, I'm sure he's gone by now, but was just there doing it, collecting the paycheck, sure. going through the motions, just, it was just the worst. And, and it and, can't, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I can't speak to that. I, can, I mean, the educator in me says, you know, at a certain point you can, it's, it's very easy to get disenchanted if you get wrapped up in it. Um, and, and you never know. I mean, you know, the, the further back you go, people have, I get asked all the time, you know, did you have something like CMAS when you were in high school or whatever? And I can't tell if they're, sometimes I, I wonder if they're being sarcastic, if they've completely misjudged my age, if I, you know, I, I don't even know where it's coming from. <laughs> but, but the truth of the matter is, is that it's not a matter of if I did or not, it wasn't even an option. It just literally wasn't a possibility. I, I can't, I can't fault Pete Metzger was his name, is his name. Um, or Jeff Beeler or, or Bob Wagner. I, I literally remember all of these people. Um, Wes Fricky. Um, they were brilliant. They didn't, if, 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 they, if you had come to them and said, we have this idea, and you described what I built with the CMS program, what I designed, honestly, I think they would have been like, okay, that's really cool. Yeah. We can't, like, we, if we could figure out how to do that, in the architecture or the, in the, in the, the infrastructure, if you will, of, of music education at the time, I, I really think they probably would have been like, okay, sure, let's do it. I don't think it was an option. I mean, I really think that, you know, there's a perspective element. I'm not that old, but it does remind me a little bit of when I have conversations with students about classical music, for example. And I always tell them the same thing. You know, you can't, you can't fault Beethoven or Mozart and say, you don't like their music because there's no electric guitar. Because there wasn't even electricity at the time. You can't, you know, you're missing the whole point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, that can't be your thing. In the same way, when I have students who are very, very much of a more, and this is fine too, of a, but we'll say a more traditional mindset. I'm like, you can't look at a kid who wants to do like turntables and say that's not a legitimate musical instrument you just, for the same exact reason because you got to deal with intent you just you just have to and that's the thing that like i said i look back on those that band director and those teachers all of them throughout all of my school years as it were and and dave roman and and i mean i could list all these professors throughout you know college that some of which i'm still friends with which is really wonderful too you know um Sorry, I just I have to I have to name drop Molly Slaughter. I don't know if anybody knows who she is, but I just for me, I gotta say it. Karma again. <laughs> okay. And there's lots of others. Greg Sanders, Steve Heineman, I'm gonna shut up now. Okay. <laughs> Ed Kayser, God. It would be here for a long time. But but all of them would tell you know, but but the thing of it is you start to realize the best musicians are about intention. You know, uh, Springsteen walks up on stage with the E Street band and it's unbelievable. And then the band takes a break for a minute and he sits down with just his acoustic guitar and it's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's, I mean, look, the guy's a genius. And I mean, that's, you know, you don't need me to say that. 
But I think the reason it works in both settings is because of his musical intentions. It comes out different. Of course, it comes out differently when you have more people and you can interact. And again, we go back to that visceral thing, but it's about intent. And I think that's what I've carried with me from all of those people. Um, I go on in any case. So I I go, I go to Bradley University and become their first music, excuse me, music uh, composition and theory graduate ever out of that university. I don't, I don't know if I, that's like, I have two distinctions being at Bradley. One is I'm the first person ever to receive that degree from that institution, which I'm very proud of. And two, I was probably the most arrogant pain in the butt student that's ever been through there in the history of that university's music school. Um, and it was a brilliant place. It was wonderful. They had an old Moog synthesizer um, that had been installed by Robert Moog himself. Wow. Um, but it unfortunately it didn't work. If I could go back now, no, you know, if, you know, you always say if you know if I knew then what I know now. Um, but they allowed, you know, they bought some equipment. We had an, you know, an old Mac computer, and we were able to do some sequencing and learn some. Ba- and I just kind of got bit by the bug of it. I just found it so compelling and so interesting. Didn't know what I was doing. Had a couple of microphones. Couldn't even tell you what they were. Probably a fifty-eight and like a beat-up condenser by who? You know, I want to say there was a. I don't know. I want to say there was like an old road or a, an AKG or something, but it was, I mean, we, you know, we didn't know what we were doing, um, but freedom to explore the process. I mean, again, in hindsight, I see all of this greatest gift possible. Um, graduate, don't know what I'm going to do. So the Youngstown, I don't know if I'm going too far back. No, no, that's fine. Start. No, no, no. So I'm going to, uh, I go to university or it's a Youngstown state university. Um, partially out of desperation, partially out of, you know, I, I didn't, I was wandering in sort of like the, the desert of my own immaturity and unawareness. You know, I just, I just, I had this thought in my head that I was going to be the next Leonard Bernstein. Okay. Um, not realizing that basically even the next Leonard Bernstein wasn't going to be the next Leonard Bernstein because that world doesn't exist. And it wasn't like people weren't telling me that. But it doesn't, I mean, it just doesn't exist. And, 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 and I didn't, I wasn't that guy. I mean, that's, you know, kind of like what you were talking about before, which I disagree with your assessment of your skill set, but we can have that conversation off, off air sometime. <laughs> but no, but, but, but no seriousness. I mean, you know, but I wasn't that guy. I mean, that's just, that's a reality. I wasn't that guy. Um, but while I'm in Youngstown, Stephen Gage who's another one of these sort of like aha moment people. Um, I had done a li- I had done some conducting. Um, I even put together for my senior recital at Bradley. I put together my own sort of like mini orchestra of friends just for the heck of it. Um, and I seem to remember Roman, Dave Roman, who was head of the music department and, and the, the, con- uh, the, one of the main conductors there, I seem to remember him saying to me, you know, we could have like, helped you out with this like you didn't have to like do it covertly or anything (laughs) um he's a guy i really did not appreciate nearly as much as i should have at the time brilliant man just brilliant wonderful guy but anyway he um so but but so steve gage basically goes you know i need a i i've got an opportunity for graduate student and he he was the band conductor he's like but you'll also work a little bit with the orchestras as well um, and you'll get to do, you know, you'll get to conduct and I'll teach you how to, and he was my first real conducting teacher that I took seriously. I had taken conducting lessons as part of my degree 
at Bradley from John Jost of all people who, oh my gosh, that man has forgotten more than I will ever remember about conducting. But I didn't, I didn't, I was, you know, I was a very, very immature late teens, early twenties as an undergrad. Um, and just didn't, didn't see it, didn't get it, didn't understand it. Um, my own fault, nobody else's, but in any case, so Gage, Stephen gets me involved in, in conducting and then it's like, okay, now what am I going to do with this? And I was struggling a lot between the composer and me and feeling like this isn't right. I'm still playing drums where I can, but not really as much as I should. I am bit by the, I'm still so heavy into prog rock. And I think that the world is revolving around, you know, the three gigs on the planet you can get in that <laughs> in the genre. Um, again, just not reality at all. And so um, on kind of a weird fluke, I wind up out at the University of Arizona to pursue a conducting degree. And, you know, there are several people that I get to work with there who are hugely important and influential. Um, but Bob Billups um, was in charge of the orchestras. And Greg Hansen was in charge of the bands. Um, two diametrically opposed in terms of approach kind of musicians. But interestingly totally consumed with what ultimately will be my, what I realize is my own thing, which I keep coming back to again, which is intent and process. I think both Greg and Bob would be the first to tell you they don't fully understand what the heck it is I do, which is okay, because I don't know that I fully understand what the heck it is I do. <laughs> but Greg has come up, he's done clinics with my students. So we're talking about like, like the Yoda of like, wind band conducting this is a guy who's been all over the world who can make an, a, a wind band sound like an orchestra and just do think get 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 it to work in a timbral way that just seems impossible and do it in such a finesseful way you know he's like like um he's not a basher like you know you how you see like the drummers that i mean they're wonderful but they're like the heavy he's not that Greg was the guy that convinces you that, oh my gosh, it's like Jedi mind tricks with music. Like he, he could do it, but then, and, 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 but underneath it was his whole compelling thing about what is what, serving the song. You know, I mean, it's so much, he would never frame it in the context of being like a studio musician, but it's exactly what you have to be as a studio musician. Yeah. What does the music require? And then he would basically move heaven and earth to get that sound to happen. I mean, you know, a lot of my production technique weirdly stems from him, even though I don't think the man could point to a fader and tell you what it did <laughs> to save his life. Um, you know, the only mics he knows are people named Michael. I mean, that's literally, I mean, he doesn't, you know, but, it was the, you know, this is again, in hindsight, the th you know, that kind of what does the music need, that approach um, that's, that's impacted things. And, 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 and that's impacted how I teach and why the program exists a lot. Greg, oddly, and I've told him this, he, I've talked about it, he kind of laughs me off, but he is one of the biggest influences on what I do, even though he himself doesn't write music. 
and does it has never in his life really worked in anything in the world of pure commercial music or more what was what's called the more modern contemporary styles and yet the connection is very directly there it's not a false compliment to him at all but that musical uh priority is so critical to everything and and the interesting thing and and his legacy not mine his legacy to me is i see it universally in my most successful graduates they have the same thing it is so that has become so fascinating to me the other guy i do have to mention just in my journey to making the program was the other conductor robert billups bob he wasn't sloppy but bob was like you could see like he i i just i can i remember you would you you know i i would get to sit where most people couldn't so i wasn't in the ensemble usually I was learning to conduct. So I would get to sit and watch him from like the back or sit amongst the ensemble and I could just see what he was doing. And he, this was the other thing that has stayed with me so much. He would just, he had this very thick beard. Like part of me always thought that if he could do the ZZ top thing, he would. That's so funny. But it just, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. But when he would get in front of an ensemble, especially an orchestra, and I took this with me as I, as I went on into education too in that part of my musical world. He would, I tried to, could never do it the way he did, but he would light up. Like you could literally see his, and it would be this huge beaming smile of you just had to, like even if you were playing some dark, moody, you know, symphony by, you know, some very depressed Russian whatever, <laughs> <laughs> he would, there was just this joy that was infectious. And it wasn't that his technique was perfect. Um, it was very sort of imprecise and it, it had this flow about it and this looseness um, that I love actually in all music now. But more importantly, it was the joy, like just pure joy for the moment, for being in it. Like you, you just, it was otherworldly when you would see him, see him do this. And, and, the interesting thing was he was a violinist and he had the same vibe, if you will, when he played. It was, it was, it was the common thing with him. It didn't matter what he was doing. If it was connected to music in some way, he just oozes this joyful musical purity. So you put all that together and I'm teaching in Tucson. I've got this high school orchestra. I've got this middle school orchestra. I don't know what I'm doing. I am so still arrogant and convinced of myself in the worst possible ways. I mean, you need ego. I mean, you, you need ego in, the, in anything. And, and, and education is basically the entertainment industry. And anybody who tells you it's not is kidding themselves. But you need ego, you, you do in some ways. But I, I was on a whole nother side of that in a bad, bad way. So I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, my middle school, for example, and I'm still like this a little bit, I just don't execute it the same way. I understand and heaven help me to all my colleagues and relatives and people. I get why you don't want to do your English project. I get why the science class does not get you going. I have never understood why picking up an instrument doesn't appeal to somebody. Like it just, my brain doesn't, I'm sure you kind of have a similar 
So I was like the, I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but I'm gonna, um, hopefully I don't get in too much trouble for somebody who sees this. <laughs> so it's my very first teaching gig. I'm very, very green and very, very, um, just like I said, arrogant, but <laughs> I had this huge middle school program, which I didn't realize was a rare thing. I had like 250 middle school students playing stringed instruments. It was nuts. Violins and not even like guitars. I mean, like actual classical string instruments. It was insane. Sounds but a whole scary. lot of them didn't want to. It was it was great. <laughs> I think. I mean, I you know I couldn't do it now. I'd, I'd be terrified now. But but um, I could not get my head around the idea of you didn't want to didn't want to rehearse didn't want to play the music. So I had this thing. I called it. I think I, my recollection is is that one of the kids named it but I may just be projecting because I don't want to take responsibility for it, but it was called the wall of shame. And I had a row of chairs at the side of the rehearsal hall. And my policy was, look, and I'm still not a good babysitter for my students. If you don't want to participate, I don't understand that. What I need you to do is stay out of the way of everybody. The people who does. that want it. Right. Right. So I had all of these middle school kids in my orchestra class sitting you know, like <laughs> on the wall of shame. And my rule was don't interrupt the other kids that were out here. And it just got very, I mean, it was just, it was absurd. It was bad. It was like, it was terrible. And I don't have a wall of shame now. I've been told since that you're not supposed to do that somewhere, you know, but my, you know, I, I didn't do get a teaching degree. I stumbled into it because of the conducting and the combination of Greg's influence and Bob's influence and, and really all their influences and frankly wanting to eat and, and not wanting the lifestyle. I, th I did some auditions for some pretty serious, you know, conducting positions and, and made it, you know, at one time or another fairly far along. And every time I would get to a point where I would either over just consumed by self-doubt, honestly, mm -hmm. Uh, I have no faith in anything I've done ever, even now. I'm not saying that for false compliments. I just, that's just my personality a little bit. I, I, I am very, very good sometimes at, at, at masking that. But if we're being totally honest, it ain't there. Um, but I also just, you know, you would talk to people and it'd be like the brutal nature of the gig. And this is where things started to kind of um, not unravel for me, but I started to think about, you know, you started to realize like, okay, just from a practical standpoint, what do I do if there's only a dozen or so conducting jobs in the world right. or in the United States? So true. Stretch it out, you know, outside of the world of education. Those are really tough. And the lifestyle that those people have to lead and, you know, you just, it's a little bit, there are certain musicians that like when you watch them play and you're just like, well, yeah, no, I don't have that. I don't, I'm not that, you know, I'm just not that guy. And I'm not saying that to be silly. You just, I just, it wasn't, you know, if fear, fear is, you know, it wasn't right for me. And I let it, I let it overtake me. Who knows? But we are where we are. Thank you so very much for listening to this podcast. It's so important to me that you've taken the time out to listen and potentially subscribe. If you have a moment, it would be great if you could share this podcast. I would also love it if you could rate it. And if you have time, it would be amazing to have a review by you. 
Once again, thanks so much for listening. I really, really appreciate having you here and being in your ears. Thank you.